welcome to the Cup of Tea podcast. I'm Mike Ewan. And I'm Catherine Lilly. And we both work in the Teaching Excellence Academy at the University of Hull, where our roles are to develop, celebrate and promote HE level teaching. This podcast is designed to explore and share some of the fantastic teaching practices here at the university by showcasing work of some of our colleagues, what they do, how and why they do it, and what the impact has been. In this week's episode, we're joined by Zach North from the School of Perioperative, Paramedical and Advanced Practice to talk about the steps he's taken to promote peer-assisted learning within the school. So without further ado, pour yourself a cup of tea and enjoy the show. So Zach, thank you for joining us today. Can you introduce yourself and who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. So uh, my name is Zach North. I'm a lecturer and programme leader for the MSc Advanced Clinical Practice Programme here in Hull. I'm the postgraduate academic lead as well for the Faculty of Health Sciences and I'm also the academic misconduct officer for the health sciences group as well so quite a few titles. Uh, my background is that I trained in Hull in 2006, uh, did my undergrad here and qualified in 2009 as an um, operating department practitioner and then from that I came back to Hull and did a further degree in 2010 and then I had a few different positions in the NHS sort of band six level and then I started my training as an advanced clinical practitioner in 2013 and did my master's through Hull and then started here in 2019. It's maybe worth explaining what an advanced clinical practitioner is because people might wonder. That would be helpful. Um, So this is sort of a new role that's come about because essentially we've got a lack of junior doctors and we've got a lack of doctors in general in the NHS and this is particularly apparent in places like primary care. We all know it's hard to see a GP. It's almost impossible. Equally, in secondary care, in sort of hospital-based medicine and surgery, there are junior doctors, but what is happening is that they're being used predominantly for service provision, so they're not getting the educational part of their contracts. They're not being released to have time with their supervisors or go to different areas and departments. They're essentially just being used to do jobs on the wards. So what's happened is a real shift in that what we've seen is that we've got, you know, people who experience in the NHS and have got a certain set of skills. These are normally nurses or allied health professionals, physiotherapists, paramedics, um, operating department practitioners, pharmacists as well. We're starting to train and skill those people up to take on some of the duties that would traditionally be done by medical professionals. So they undergo a three-year training package, um, which includes a master's, Mm -hmm. um, which is done at our university, but also others within the region and nationally. On top of that, they have to do competencies, usually through that are accredited through a Royal College, so the Royal College of Physicians or Emergency Medicine or Primary Care. Once they've done all that, it should take about three or four years, they start to sort of practice at a kind of middle grade doctor level. So they call it a CT1 or 2, so that sort of core trainee level. So basically sort of three years in the medical training. With a little bit more experience, they're probably practicing at sort of a registrar level, which is sort of a doctor that's been training for about five years. And at the moment, that's where they sort of sit, is that sort of middle grade kind of level. So obviously then you're kind of preparing people for quite a specific role. And so I imagine you're going to tell us about the sort of practical things that you do to support them and the sort of authentic opportunities to learn how to do that particular job. I imagine you're not going to be teaching people 
theoretical things if they've got an actual job of work that they need to do. So is that what you're here to talk to us today about? Yeah, so I've, I've come to talk to you about a sort of particular pedagogical approach, a teaching approach that, that we've sort of started to adopt. And you talked about being authentic and sort of authentic assessment, trying to make our assessments real life and matter for what they're going to be doing in their clinical practice as well. So the approach that I wanted to talk to you about was something called peer-assisted clinical examination. So essentially what it is, is that it's a mashup between two approaches that we commonly use in higher education. The first is uh, peer-assisted learning. Mm-hmm. And everybody's probably familiar with that, that we see that quite a lot in HEIs where we expect students to support and teach each other. Mm-hmm. And that's a you know well-grounded in research that it works really well. But this can span across the levels as well. So we can see this happening quite a lot in the biomedical sciences, for example, where sometimes you get PhD students mm-hmm. teaching undergrad students in labs. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you see that in nursing and allied health professionals where you'll have third-year paramedic students, for example, teaching second- and first-year students clinical skills, so cannulation, taking a blood pressure, taking a pulse, calculating respiratory rates. And what that provides, what the evidence suggests, is that students feel more comfortable because they've got a peer teaching them. So they feel more empowered to ask questions, whether those be silly or not, they feel more comfortable to ask those. And what you find is that not only is the, the student being taught benefiting, but it's also the teacher the other peer benefiting from that process as well mm-hmm. in cementing their knowledge. The approach that we use as well kind of brings in that sort of team-based learning in that, you know, learning as a team in terms of social constructivism and learning from each other is really, really important. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we do in higher education across all level four to PhD is that we encourage students to form peer groups, teaching groups, and start to provide feedback and feed forward to each other. So this peer-assisted clinical simulation is essentially what we do is that we have students construct OSCEs for each other, so objective structured clinical examinations. These are exams that are used in medical schools. Mm. Normally they're very rote learned so that the students are almost learning a performance going through, so they'll be examining a respiratory system and they're almost learning a performance or a dance as you would a script going through. But this takes it to sort of a next level by trying to make it authentic and give students an understanding of the assessments that they're required to do at the end of the programme. The approach that we take is that we pair three students up and all of them will take turns doing these roles, but one of them will be the assessor who's actually made the OSCE and has constructed it. One of them will be the patient who's been practised on by a fellow student and the other one will be the person undertaking this, so we can call them the candidate for the OSCE. There is a little bit of evidence for this within the literature from medical schools and what they've examined is that we can take learning as surface and deep and the traditional way of teaching OSCEs in that sort of very, you know, road to learning a dance promotes that surface learning that people don't really understand the theory of it, of why they're doing it. And ultimately, I could probably teach a respiratory examination to my eight-year-old and she could pass a rote learning OSCE. (laughs) And that's for sure. But that doesn't mean she understands why she's doing something. She She can just do it. She knows the steps. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So then if we go to deep learning, it's about integrating the theory and the practice and it's the why, isn't it? That's the important bit about the learning. So what they found is that when they got students to construct these OSCEs, they often started at a point of a disease. So they'd maybe start at somebody with a chest infection would be their patient scenario. And then they'd work backwards. So they'd work backwards through 
um, the inspection of the patient, what they present like. They work through the signs that they find on percussion, examine of the patient, on auscultation, what they would hear in the chest. And then they'd also bring in the history that they find. So you might have a patient with a productive cough, with green phlegm, that's maybe got a temperature. And they work backwards. So they learn a lot about the clinical condition, but also working backwards through the examination and the history. So they get a deep approach to that. So that's during the setup of the. That's the, the setup. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that person's learning. So they're doing that approach. Yeah. But all three students are doing this as well. Yeah. So all three of them are designing an OSCE. Mm. And then what this particular paper found is that when they did that, they found that there was a lot of learning in terms of the marking criteria and students making the OSCE. They found that there was definite learning in students who were undertaking the OSCE in terms of the technical skills and the feedback they were getting. But interestingly found that the most learning actually came from being that simulated patient. Right. From having another student examine them, they were able to feel good techniques, but techniques that required improvement, and they were able to feed back on that. Mm. But while that situation was going on, they were also learning things from other students at the same point of, oh, that was a good technique, that's how I should do it, or mm. that wasn't quite on the mark for that pulse, or that could have been mm. a bit better. The commentary could have been better here. So I suppose it's team-based learning because all three are learning from each other and get the opportunity to provide feedback for each other. Ah, okay. And that's the important bit. The question is then how did we bring that very sort of, you know, from medical schools to bring it into our programme and to make it work? And there's some definite lessons learned from the literature. One of those is one thing that we fell into the start of, is that these scenarios that students have been asked to produce need to be reviewed by academics. They need to be reviewed by the team. So in our first sort of iteration run-through, we had students producing these OSCEs, and then we were reviewing them on the day prior to them being done. And what we found with that is that the reviews were very quick, and we didn't feel that there was much opportunity for us as a team to feedback to that person who'd been doing the constructing the OSCE about their knowledge deficits or where they might expand or the clinical signs that they could include. We're sort of on our third iteration with some lessons learned from the first one. The major one being that there needs to be a, a process where we as a module team review these OSCEs and provide feedback to students, a formative feedback that yep. we're providing to students. Mm -hmm. So our format now is what we do is that we finish our practical session where we're learning the basic skills of a, of a system examination, so respiratory, for example. The activity at the end of that session, which students complete in their own time, so we're timetable for a Friday, is that they're required to design an OSCE based on the respiratory system. So it can be chest infections, pulmonary embolisms, um, exacerbations of you know chronic conditions. And they have a choice, do they, of what they... Yeah, they yeah, have free reign, whatever yeah. they want to choose. We encourage them to pick something that they're not too sure about because mm -hmm. then they're able to research that and investigate yeah, okay. it as well. Yeah. We normally have them submit on a Tuesday um, on Canvas. So they submit their OSCE that they've designed, including their patient history, the various prompts that they're going to give running through that and the differential diagnosis at the end. They submit that to Canvas and we provide formative feedback on that um, during sort of Wednesday, we say the feedback's always out okay. by the end of play Wednesday, which means that they've got Thursday to make any corrections if needed or additions, and they bring that ready, printed out, ready to go for the Friday simulation session. Yeah. So they're basically creating the entire simulation, 
what they'd expect to see the person doing. Yeah. And so it's like creating the marking criteria, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. And that's an important point, is that what they're designing their OSCE on is the marking criteria that we're going to use for their summative assessment. So there's no secrets for each system of what we're expecting. Yeah. And within that sort of period of them doing this for threes, I, I say threes, sometimes it, it's in fours and yeah. there's an extra marker in there. But for the sake of argument in the threes, is that each person who is the candidate mm-hmm. leaves with that particular um, examination yeah. done, they know their mark and they've got feedback before. So I guess they've been, our formative assessment model for this is quite big yeah, because yeah. they're formatively yeah. assessed on every system that we do that could be in the OSCE every three weeks. Mm -hmm. So they kind of have a good benchmark of where they are. Mm -hmm. And what we tend to do to try and make it more real, because the the summative assessment for this particular module is that they'll have three body systems that could be randomised to a presenting complaint. As we go through this, we start to build on more than just one system. So we start with respiratory, where they'll just design it around the respiratory system. But then when we move on to cardiovascular, um, because if you've got shortness of breath, you have to think about both the cardiovascular and the respiratory system, because both can cause that symptom. So in the cardiovascular, we get them to design these osteos, but include two body systems. Okay, so yeah, kind of we lay and layer it up. Get up yeah, 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 absolutely. So by the end of it, you know, they're formatively doing three osteos in this kind of model before they even get to the summative. And do you think they are aware of that? Do you think it helps with some of the anxiety around? Yeah. Because it's just the gradual kind of build-up to it. I think so. I think Koski's are an exam. You know, it's got exam in the the word of it. And it evokes the same anxieties that an exam would. People are petrified. People are pale. They're sweaty. Some of them look that scared. But what we say to them, we always explain our pedagogical approach of why we're doing something. And because they're level seven students, but I think we should do this across the board, is that we always show them the evidence <coughs> right. that we're using towards this teaching approach because we're expecting them to be evidence-based practitioners yeah. and we in higher education should also be driven by evidence in our teaching and in our assessment. So we talk about this and why we're doing it and that there's limited evidence for it. Then we bring in our sort of previous module feedback as well from students that oh, have been okay. through this. Yeah and highlight where it actually says that they really enjoyed the examination, they really enjoyed the scenarios. And I guess what we also say is that we know that OSCEs are difficult and we know that they're nerve-wracking and all of the module team have been through them. Yeah. And we know, you know, how hard they are. But we say that by the end of it, they'll have sat eight yeah. by the time they get to the yeah. final one. Mm-hmm. And fair enough, the final one is the sort of all-stakes one and it's a random combination of systems that they should get but they've been formatively assessed on all of them. So they leave knowing where they need to improve on that particular system. But they might, through it, not just be assessed on respiratory once formatively, depending on the students, it might be three, four, five times, potentially, when they get to the end of it. So there's quite a big sort of formative element to it, really. So so you sell sell the dream to them early on in the module. Yeah, definitely. Convince them, like, stick with us, this is a good idea, commit to it, and, and... and you'll get really something out of it. Yeah, and we let them know as well that there's not much evidence for yeah, this. Yeah. We think it's good, we know it's good from, from previous times, but this would, with this particular cohort, we said that we've changed it a little bit, but this is a feedback point that we want, you know, as teachers and, and as lecturers. We're going to try this, you're going to come on this journey with us, but we want you to evaluate it and to be honest about it. Yeah. You know, and we sort of, we check that with mid-module feedback that we're, okay. you know, that they're happy with this, that they feel comfortable. 
Mm. And by the end of it, because it's sort of team-based, and we random the students to each other, so we, we make sure that they're not in their friendship groups or in their speciality groups. Right. They're, mm. they're mixing with everybody. Mm. By the end of this, you've got <laughs> you've got like a student group that's really comfortable with giving each other feedback. Yeah. Mm. and feedback from lecturers they're really comfortable with reflecting and taking that feedback on board they're really comfortable with people examining each other I mean you know I don't know if you're going to edit this out but the, the blokes have their shirts off often yeah. you know, for people to, <laughs> and you get that student group that's got is really cohesive and is socially learning from everybody mm. and by the end of it moving on because this is sort of the first module moving on into the programme in the second module everybody's there with each other and really happy and feedback community has and, been developed. yeah and they're not scared then when we do sort of more you know blended approaches and they're not scared about presenting in each other because they've all had that experience so it kind of works well I guess to tee people up as well in that sort of sense it sounds like during the process obviously you were saying there's quite a big chunk of kind of formative assessment and working alongside students and you have to be sort of observing them and things like that and obviously with any new teaching approach there's a lot of work in getting it set up but where do you see the kind of workload challenges or kind of peaks taking this kind of approach? I would suggest it reduces the workload. You could view it on the other way that it would be us designing the OSCEs for the students which would be a lot more work so I suppose in actual fact we are getting the students to do the designing of the OSCEs but the advantage is that they're learning at the same time as doing that. Um, there is a little bit of workload in terms of the reviewing of the OSCEs but I feel that it's beneficial to do that at least two days before they're actually going to do it rather than on the yeah. day because that's one of the pitfalls that we fell into that we'd have you know somebody's OSCE in front of us and it just wouldn't quite be right. And then that knocks onto all three of the participants. Yeah, exactly yeah. then you've got the danger that because their OSCE isn't constructed right based on their knowledge of, of that particular condition or what they'd find, then it's going to impact on the learning of the other two. So we kind of reflected and thought the OSCEs need to be well designed and they need to be peer reviewed by us to make sure that somebody's not going to get a subpar OSCE and it's going to affect their learning. Yeah. That was a thing that we sort of, we didn't fall into that at the start, but as we were going through the module, we recognised that some were not getting the same quality experience as others. So we kind of addressed that in the sort of the third iteration of it, really. Part of it is that we're trying to have students leave with graduate attributes. Aren't yeah. we? We're trying to let people you know, leave university with more skills than just being able to pass an OSCE or do an exam or do an academic assignment and within this they get experience of teaching you know because they will be teaching within that we have practitioners who come on my program who are way more experienced than me in certain aspects Mm -hmm. because we can't be aspect you know experienced in everything Mm -hmm. Um, and we always make that clear that we have experts in the room and we bring them in to bring their knowledge in and also they're leaving with the ability to provide constructive feedback to somebody which is really important mm-hmm. if they're going to be going into being an advanced practitioner mentoring in practice to be able to give balanced feedback is really important yeah. and also they're learning the skill to take feedback on board yeah, it's mm-hmm. and, reflect. Yeah, it's and that's hard yeah. to do when you're when you get feedback, you automatically feel it's a negative. Yeah, yeah. But in the way that we get them to give the feedback, it's a consensus. It's a right, you know, what do we think went well? Where do we think needs improvement? Mm. And each of those three, but we always start the debrief with the candidate reflecting in how did you feel it went? What went well? Where do you think needs improvement? So is that, is that what happens after the OSCEs? Do they reflect as a team or reflect individually? They reflect as a team, but the predominant focus of the reflection is on the candidate. Right, and okay. the one that's undertaking the OSCE because ultimately they're the one being marked in the sense yeah. of assessment. So we always get them to have a think about, you know, what went well, 
and what requires improvement. I think reflection is really important because if you look at, you know, in terms of sort of pedagogical approach, reflection is always at the top, isn't yeah. it? That's, that's the gold standard that we should always try and achieve. And it demonstrates deep learning as well. So we always get them to reflect. And sometimes they pick up, well, most of the time probably, they pick up on what the other two were going to pick up on. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of softens the blow, mm. yeah. but it also reaffirms what the others find. Mm. We always get the patient to say, how did they feel being examined? Okay. Mm. And that's important. It's about, did they feel that their dignity was maintained? Yeah. Mm. You know, did they feel that, you know, were they hurt at any point? Was anything uncomfortable? Because mm. examination can be uncomfortable if your yeah. technique's not very good. And then we always get the one who's constructed the OSCE to have a think about their construction of the OSCE. Would they have done anything differently? Mm. It's very much peer-based learning, but brings in that team element where people are sort of reflecting together Mm. and learning from each other. And so do you think as an approach it's something that would work in different disciplines, potentially? I could see it working. Um, Obviously, this is my discipline, um, so sort of extrapolating it might be quite difficult. But I think that anywhere that you've got the ability to have students working as peers and working as teams Mm. and you're doing formative assessment I think it could fit in I think if you're talking about maybe in the in the sort of biosciences about a lab project that's team people up for a summative assessment I don't see why that project couldn't be designed by students peer-reviewed by the team and then done in team-based learning I think that would work really well. Mm. Um, it's certainly got the potential for things, you know, within nursing at undergraduate level. I think would work really well. Physiotherapy, even if you sort of brought it out into things like I don't know, creative writing. Mm. You know, that's way far removed from mine. But if you've got um, assessment that's going to assess perhaps character development, for example, then why can't that formative assessment be set by a student? Yeah to administer to another student mm-hmm. in which they mark each other's work and feedback. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think anywhere where you've got formative assessment, if a student could design it, administer it to another student with a decent marking criteria or rubric to go on, yeah. mm-hmm. then it, it could work anywhere, I yeah. feel. It sounds quite similar to the approach that Kelly <clears throat> was talking about in a, one of our other podcasts. She talks about in teacher education yeah. and exactly that, designing yeah. projects and, and assessing and peer assessing and designing criteria and all of those yeah especially yeah in those areas where you want to build the community you want to build relationships across but you can also always do it bring it back to that authentic authenticity of it and 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 ensure that's part of the assignment yeah definitely i think that's probably the biggest advantage of it is that is that that community develops really quickly and you you break those you know sort of peer groups that happen of course they generally go back to their peer groups yeah that happens but you've kind of, when everybody's then together in a room, you've got that sort of social constructivism. Yeah, that's really got, interesting when, when you talk about I think about that's how, important. how it builds into future modules and then like the blended and, and the contribution maybe to a discussion point or something and, and all the yeah. benefits, the side benefits, something like that can have. We use this technique in, a, in, in the module after that looks at clinical reasoning. So we looked at how best to teach clinical reasoning and, it, and it's best taught in sort of this OSCE fashion rather than an assignment base so we looked at the evidence for that and then we brought this technique in again for this where we sort of started this module off and we said you know what did everybody think about the technique of designing Oscars everyone said yeah brilliant really liked it and we decided that as a group um, that we were going to do this again for this particular 20 credit module but we were going to change it we changed it because our summative assessment was slightly different 
So the summative assessment for this next module was the examination of one body system and then a viva at the end okay. of it. So they have 15 minutes to gather the history and do the examination, and then they have a 15-minute viva. So within the viva, they're expected to go through their differential diagnosis, what they think is wrong, and, what they, and why that is based on the history and based on the OSCE. And then they've got this sort of big viva element, which is about, it's 45% of it, so it's a large chunk of the marks. And this is about their discussion of their clinical reasoning based on the theory that we're presenting. Uh, within the module. So we said that this is something that we were going to do. We took the same approach, but we had them do one system and then a viva. Right. But we focused the viva particularly for these formative OSCEs that they're designing each other on the theory for the preceding week. So for example, if we were talking yeah, okay. about uh, cognitive biases, and students really like this one, and they were sometimes a bit mean and nasty to each other, not in a bad way, but in a good way, mm-hmm. they, they had produced a history that was laden with biases, mm-hmm. right? Where you know, if yeah. you get a patient coming in and they start coughing mm-hmm. and they go, oh, "My chest's really bad. I need antibiotics. I've got a chest infection." Automatically in your brain, chest infection goes right to the top, and that's called anchoring. They've anchored right. that bias in you, mm-hmm. and you've got to debias yourself. You've got to think, okay, it could be a chest infection, but it could be something else, and that's called dialectical bootstrapping. Right. Right. So we get them to go through this theory in their viva. So in that cognitive biases, formative OSCE, we got them to do a history and an examination that included biases. Okay. And students yeah, within that yeah. viva were expected to pick up and name those biases. Students really liked that. Yeah. Some of them led them down the garden path a little bit and brought them back. Um, but it was a really fun session because students said that they, they understood the biases more because they were putting them into a history yeah. and putting them into the examination. Yeah. And students really liked that within that, they picked upon a few but then the, the student who was delivering the OSCE was able to provide a little bit more clarification on the biases that were missed right. and provide a bit of you know, education around those. Because you know, there are actually over 100 biases, okay. but we, we pick out for the module the sort of top 20 that you really like to see. <laughs> but these are ones that they need to be familiar with that yeah, have yeah, big yeah. impacts. Yeah. If you fall into that trap, you potentially got place. a mistake going on right. with the patient. Mm. So we've sort of adapted it for that. You know, yeah. Slightly different module, different approach, but then again, still works really well for that sort of peer assessment. And because they'd done it before, they just took to it. There was less explanation. We had to do explanation about the Viva. Mm. They were like, oh yeah, brilliant, here we go. And they were really happy doing it. That's great. So is there any particular advice that you'd give to anybody that was thinking of taking this approach? Any, Any things to watch out for? I think the biggest advice is getting the students on board with it. Right. And I think that the way to do that is to be really clear about why you're doing it. And I wouldn't be afraid of, like we have been discussing, some of the pedagogical theories behind it. I think it's important that students see that we actually think about our teaching and we actually go to research for that. Mm -hmm. And I think if you can you can show this to your students that this is what peer learning is, this is team based learning, this is peer assisted clinical examination or peer-assisted labs or peer-assisted writing, you know, and actually say to them, this is the evidence and this is why I want to try it. They kind of see it as an experiment that they're being brought along with, Mm -hmm. which works really, really well. And they're part of that journey. You can get feedback with them and adapt it as you go on. So that would be point number one, definitely get the students on board and display why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. I think the second point is to 
expand on formative assessment a little bit and why it's important. And I think this is sometimes overlooked in that formative assessment is probably arguably as important as summative because yeah. we're giving students to practice their skills to get feedback and then that links back into those sort of three approaches. Yeah, like actively use that feedback. Definitely. Take it forward, yeah. yeah. And although it's not counted towards the module mark, it's preparing them for that end point, you know, the end assessment, which is often sometimes an all, you know, an all stakes assessment, isn't mm, it? Yeah. Does, does the student even think of it as assessment, formative or something? You know, those, are they just practicing, you know, doing what we're, we're being taught and do they I, see it as assessment? We, I don't know if they see it as assessment, but we do describe to them the differences and explain yeah. the differences between formative and summative. Because I think sometimes with certain forms of formative assessment, you run the risk of them not doing it because they don't count towards the mark. Yeah, yeah. This is not optional, the students do it. You know, and I've not had one student who's turned up without an OSCE done. Yeah. I have had students who've had IT problems and not been able to print it. That's fine. We'll yeah, print yeah, it, yeah. no problem. But again, because they're doing it for another student, they feel a sense of ownership mm. of yeah. doing that. And we say that we want this to be high quality because at the end of the day, your OSCE is responsible for somewhere else's learning. Mm. Yeah. This needs to be good. Yeah. This isn't a five-minute job at home. Mm. You know, this is something that you need to hand in. We're going to have a look at it and we're going to provide you feedback. And we expect you to put the time in because somebody else is going to put the time in for you. So they're, they're invested in that process then. So definitely I would advocate always, you know, this is formative, but this is why we're doing it. I think it's the why that we need to explain a little bit more. My third advice for it would definitely be to give students guidance in whatever you're expecting them to construct. I think with any formative assessment, there needs to be clear guidance about what you're expecting and the quality and maybe even an example. So we give an example of a previous summative assessment of how the history was laid out um, just from one body system and the prompts, just so they can look at it and think, okay, that's how they want it laid out. I understand now. Because in the first iteration, we sort of left it a bit open and it was a bit Wild West. And we had some histories which were like 600 words long. And then we had some which were literally short as a breath cough. And it's not good. They need to be getting enough information from that first bit in my discipline to have a reasonable idea of what the differential is going forward. And, and again, the, the link to authenticity there, because in no workplace do you go on in the first day and you say, write a report. Yeah, exactly. You know, you'll, you'll have read a few reports by the time you write your first report. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, so vet them for sure. Um, and then I think that's it. I think it's yeah. just a case of getting the students on board. And I would, because it, if it's formative linking to the summative, I think it is the best practice to use the summative marking criteria. Right. So if you've got a rubric, you should have a rubric uh, if you're working at the University of Hull rather than a marking criteria. So that's what we're heading towards with transforming programmes um, and, and um, curriculum enhancement. But I think that if they're working on that marking scheme that you're using for the summative assessment, they're understanding that more. Yeah. And it gives them a better opportunity to A, use it, and through using it, they'll understand our expectations in that summative assessment a little bit more. And is there anywhere that we can signpost with the PA, where there's more information about this, any papers that you can share with us afterwards? Yeah, definitely. There's a, yeah. Uh, yeah, there is a little bit of evidence out there mm-hmm. um, that we've got. Um, I can certainly give you access to those papers. Uh, and equally, you know, if you're putting contact details, I'm really happy, you know, for people within the organisation to certainly come and observe us doing this yeah, or yeah. have a chat about it equally if they're outside of the University of Hull mm-hmm. really happy to have a chat about yeah. it as well. Sounds like there's a gap in the literature there ready to be filled. We're hoping to fill that gap in summer. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, 
I'll see you in the summer days. <laughs> Thank you very much, Zach, for coming along. My pleasure. This is really interesting. Thank you.